0: Today on The Matt Wall Show, as we head into so-called Pride Month, the LGBT propaganda is going into overdrive. The children's show Blue's Clues kicks things off with an episode featuring a drag queen, a pride parade, and pansexuals. Also, five headlines including more sexual indoctrination of children, this time a graphic video about masturbation, which was shown to six-year-olds at a school in New York City. And an NBA all-star says that he's the victim of the underlying racism of NBA fans. In our daily cancellation, we'll talk about the obese woman who says that you are morally obligated to find her attractive. You don't have a choice in the matter. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, it's important not to idealize the past. The world during my childhood certainly wasn't perfect. The media we consumed at the time wasn't perfect either. But one thing I do remember is that children's shows were, broadly speaking, Shows for children. They had childish themes and ideas and plots. The moral at the end of every story was always something like sharing is good or learning is fun. And this all made a lot of sense. The show Blues Clues was a little bit after my time. It debuted when I was in middle school, I think, if I remember correctly. But my younger siblings were uh, Blues Clues fanatics, so I was exposed to the show a fair amount. During a typical episode, Blue, the cartoon dog, would decide that he wanted to you know, make puppets out of construction paper or something. And then he discovered that his scissors are missing. And with the help of his human friend, Steve, and the children watching at home, Blue would search around the house for his scissors. And then he would eventually find the scissors. And that would be the end of the episode. Suspense, drama, sorrow, redemption, the show had it all. Or at least it had enough for the preschoolers in the audience. Those preschoolers, they don't need much from their entertainment. Innocent and simple should be the name of the game. And that's what many children's shows used to be. That's what Blue's Clues used to be. But not anymore. Like so many other forms of child entertainment, Blue's Clues went from looking for his scissors to this.
1: Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly and they all go marching in the big two by two. Hurrah! Hurrah! Families marching two by two. Hurrah! Hurrah! This family has two daddies. They love each other so proudly and they all go marching in the big parade. Come on, friends! Families marching three by three. Hurrah! Hurrah! hurrah. hurrah. Families marching three by three. Hurrah! each
0: other so proudly and they all go marching in the big parade. Yes, a non-binary disabled dolphin. And I, I also I hope you noticed the uh, Black Lives Matter fist on the microphones. They really, they really jammed it all in there. Yes, that is a pride parade featured on a recent episode of the show Blue's Clues, a show which, again, is targeted specifically at children aged 3 to 5. The person singing is a man named Andrew Levitt, who goes by Nina West when he's on stage as a drag queen. And uh, that's apparently not the first time that Blue's Clues has delved into LGBT propaganda. They recently released a video featuring young children talking about the different pride flags and what they mean. There are, of course, many pride flags that signify many different sexual proclivities. The parade segment we just watched goes on for a while, listing many of them, starting with gay and lesbian. And then, as you saw, disabled non-binary dolphins. And then uh, into trans and beyond. Let's watch a little more just to see how far this actually goes.
1: Families marching 6 by 6, hurrah, hurrah. 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 Families marching 6 by 6, hurrah, hurrah. 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 Ace by and pan grown-ups you see can love each other so proudly and they all go marching in the big parade. Oh yeah.
0: Ace by and pan sound like the names of, you know, members of a boy band or something, but uh, no, ace, by and pan, because it's important that, that three-year-olds be taught about pansexuals. By the way, if you're wondering what ace means, I had to look that up. That's a term used for asexuals. Now, if you're wondering why asexuals, that is people who experience no sexual attraction at all, are included in a community of people who identify themselves by their attraction to other people, and why anyone would be proud of not being attracted to other humans anyway, well, that I can't really explain. All I can say is that the LGBT umbrella has become more like a mushroom, growing and growing until it has reached now a point where it's defined not by what it is, but by what it isn't. The only similarity between an asexual, someone who isn't attracted to anybody, and a pansexual, someone who's attracted to everybody, is that neither are heterosexual. The point of pride for LGBT people these days seems to simply be that they aren't straight. It's not a gay pride parade. It's it's a not straight parade. It's all about what you aren't. It's not really about what you are. Now, this is an important fact to keep in mind, especially as we enter into what has now been deemed Pride Month. It used to be, you know, you had a, a one part of a day, the Pride Parade, and then it was Pride Day, and then... It was a week and now it's Pride Month. Many corporations and institutions will go out of their way this month, even more than they do every other month, to push this agenda onto the public and especially onto kids. Kellogg's, for example, recently unveiled a Pride cereal, developed in association with the gay activist group GLAAD. The marketing campaign declares that boxes are for cereal, not people. And on the side of the box, there's a list of pronouns with a couple of blank spaces so that kids can fill in their own pronouns if they want. Ironically, they say boxes are for cereal, not people, and then invite children to literally put themselves into a box. Indeed, the LGBT movement is all about boxes. It's all about obsessively identifying and labeling people. The last thing they want is for children to be free and unencumbered, able to explore the world figure themselves out, from a very young age, they say to the kids, here are the labels, now pick one for yourself, and assume an identity that coincides with it. Of course, they'll never be honest about any of this. The fact, the absolutely undeniable, indisputable fact, which is staring us right in the face, is that the cultural powers that be really desperately want your kid to be gay or trans or some variation thereof. And they are going to do what they can to make that happen. But they won't admit it. Instead, they'll tell you that all of this, pride parades and pansexuals in schools and in shows for three-year-olds, non-binary pronouns on cereal boxes, et cetera, all of this is about inviting kids to be themselves, they'll say. It's about inviting Uh, the three-year-olds who are already trans or gay or pansexual to simply come out and and live their authentic truth. Now, if you're still buying that line, then you may be a hopeless case. I don't know what to tell you. I can't force oblivious people to use their brains if they've gotten so comfortable living without them. But for everybody else, the, the truth should be clear by now. This, of course, has nothing to do with inviting kids to be who they are There are no transgender three-year-olds or bisexual three-year-olds or pansexual three-year-olds. Three-year-olds are not concerned with expressing their sexual identities mostly because they don't have a sexual identity at that age. They're concerned mostly with eating snacks and running around without their shoes on and playing with their toys. If we wanted to help them live their truth, quote-unquote, that's the truth we would help them live. This hypersexualization, this incessant propagandizing is rather about introducing a new, quote, truth. It's about turning them into something that they would not otherwise be. And as we already covered, the identity that our most powerful cultural institutions want a child to adopt is a negative identity. The message to the child is simple. In a way, it's simple. Be what you want to be. Be who you want to be. But don't be straight. Don't be, quote, cisgender. Don't adopt any values or worldviews or ideas that your grandparents may have held. So be whoever you want to be, just not that. Here are your boxes. There are a lot of boxes, but you have to choose one and choose it early and find your identity and your purpose in it. That's the message, though the people spreading that message will never be honest about it. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, it should be clear from what we just talked about and from everything that you're seeing happening in the world generally, that uh, the most powerful institutions in the culture are aligned against you and us as conservatives. And that's why it's so important to support companies who share similar morals as, uh, as you. There aren't a lot of them out there, but there are some And it's really important to support them, like Charity Mobile. Um, Charity Mobile is the pro-life phone company because 5% of your monthly plan price goes to the pro-life pro-family charity of your choice. And uh, you're helping to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. So it's a win-win. Part of that win-win, though, is that you're also getting a great service. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. There's no contracts. There's no termination fees. There's no risk with a 30-day guarantee. Um, You also get live customer service based right here in the USA. And uh, if you, you know, it's all about convenience as well. So you get free usage alerts, you get fr- a free app to monitor your usage and pay your bill and more. And all the while you're turning everyday living into effortless giving. That's the motto over at Charity Mobile. And for good reason. So call them at one 474 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. New lower monthly plan prices and a new plan with a higher limit, a higher data limit. Existing customers automatically get the new lower plan prices. So no need to contact them and ask for them. Again, that's charitymobile.com. All right. You know, I I, I get accused of being uh, antisocial, mostly because I am antisocial. But one of the reasons why I get this accusation is I'm not big into small talk. I'm not a big small talk. It's not that I don't like talk. I talk for a living. I just don't. I'm not into small. This idea that like anytime you're around someone, you have to fill that space with by making noise with your mouth. doesn't matter what you're saying, because that's what small talk is. And um, it annoys me to no end. And I experienced over the weekend maybe the worst example of this in my life. We were, we were out uh, from where We were at a lake, and I was walking to the car to get something. And I noticed that my shoes were untied. So I stopped to tie my shoes. And there was this guy walking by, and we're the only ones in the, in the area for a moment. And so he's one of these small talkers, and he feels like, okay, he, in his mind, I guess he's thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be passing by this other guy and we're going to be in the same vicinity for five seconds. And so I have to say something to him. And so this guy, what he says as he's passing by, he says, ah, tying your shoes, huh? He actually said that. And I look up and I said, yep, tying my shoes. And then he just kept walking. Why do people, what, why do, people do that? Why, why do you feel? You obviously had nothing to say to me at all. That's perfectly fine. Just say nothing. Keep walking. Tying your shoes, huh? Is that supposed to spark a conversation? And then I feel like the antisocial one because I don't know how to respond to that. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say. Is that supposed to be the beginning of a, of a, of a conversation? I don't know. You know, they say if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I don't really agree with that because if I followed that rule, this show wouldn't exist. Um, but I think it's more like if you don't have anything to say, period, then don't say anything. I don't care if it's nice or not. Only speak when you have something to say. And then we do away with small talk entirely. All right. um, That was just a a little break because we have to dive back in, number one here, back into the uh, sexualization of children, unfortunately. Um, This is number one from the Daily Wire. It says, parents at New York City's elite private Dalton school have come out in force against videos dealing with the topic of masturbation that were shown to their first grade children. Yeah, keep in mind, these are first grade children. We're talking about, what are you, first grade, six or seven years old? Parents who send their children to the $55,000 a year school have bombarded the school with complaints about, uh, about Dalton Director of Health and Wellness Justine Ang Fonte's curriculum. According to the New York Post report, Fonte or font, I don't know how to pronounce the last name, showed six-year-olds a, uh, six-year-olds a cartoon during her sex ed class that featured small children discussing touching themselves, quote, because it feels good. Now, we actually have um, some of this video that the thing is here, I don't even know. I feel uncomfortable playing this, assuming that my audience is adults. But this was played for six-year-olds. And I am going to play it because this is the kind of thing, and if you think this is only happening at ritzy, expensive private schools in New York, you got another thing coming. So this is the kind of thing kids are being exposed to. We as adults should should know that this is what's going on. And so in that spirit, I present to you uh, this video, which again was shown to six-year-olds at the school in New York, here it is.
2: Hey, how come my penis gets big sometimes and points up in the air? That's called an erection. Sometimes I touch my penis because it feels good. Sometimes when I'm in my bath or when mom puts me to bed, I like to touch my vulva too. You have a clitoris there, Kayla, that probably feels good to touch the same way Keith's penis feels good when he touches it. But have you ever noticed that older kids and grown-ups don't touch their private parts in public? Hmm, they don't? That's right, Keith. It's okay to touch yourself and see how different body parts feel, but it's best to only do it in private. Well, if private parts are so special, why do you cover them up? Because they are private, silly. That's right, Kayla, because they are private. Hey, Squeaks, pass it. Wait. Okay, I'm ready.
0: Oh, my God. Um, so, first of all, Justine Ang Fonte, um she is, uh, as far as I'm concerned, this woman is no better than a sex predator. I would say she is a sex predator by my, by my, uh, standards. And, you know, in a, in a normal, sane, healthy society, she would be in prison. Like you you show that kid, that video to kids and you go to prison as a sex offender. And if, if you think that, That's too far, or it seems a little extreme. Then, then you know what I always say with these sex ed things, and like I said, this is not. This is maybe a little bit further than most sex ed curricula will go, but it's not that much further. Um, But as I, the 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 uh, thought exercise that I'm always encouraging for these kinds of things is just um, imagine how it would sound if an adult stranger, went up to uh, some six-year-old kid at a playground and said that. It's a, a good rule of thumb if you're a teacher, okay? If whatever you're saying to a kid, if you said that same exact thing outside of the classroom at a playground and it would get you arrested in that context, then don't say it in the classroom, you disgusting creep. There's nothing magical about the classroom where all of a sudden these things become appropriate. And there's also nothing magical about your status as a teacher or a quote-unquote educator, as you would call yourself. I don't call this education at all. This is grooming. That's why I put quotes around education. No, this is, this is not education. This is grooming. This is sexual grooming. But there's nothing magical about that status that gives you permission I mean, this we kids are sent to school to learn facts, to learn to learn A, B, C, one, two, three. That's what they're sent to school for. I mean, this whole idea that well, just because the kids are sent into the school building, that means that now you're the parent, and you have carte blanche to say whatever you want to them. But that's that's how that's how you have to. So so imagine. Um, That exact conversation between a parent and let's say some random 45-year-old guy at a playground talking to the kid about his erection and telling him that it feels good to touch himself. There's, There's no question that person would be arrested and thrown in prison and nobody would object. Now you take that same guy, put him in a classroom with the exact same kid? So just take that conversation and move it to a different location. Move it from the uh, playground next to the slide into the classroom next to the chalkboard. And now it's okay? Why? How? That's what this is. This is, this is grooming of children. This is, uh, has nothing to do with education. That's what all, quote-unquote, comprehensive sex ed is. That's why I'm always railing about it. And I'm and I uh, I'm, I'm happy that these parents at this school are speaking out against this. And apparently, they didn't know that this video was going to be shown. And I, I mean, I believe them that they didn't know. Because as a parent, you would have to be a full-on maniac to see that video ahead of time and say, Oh, yeah, go ahead and show that to my kid. You know what? Yeah, that's a conversation I want you to have with my six-year-old. Because if you're a parent and you really think you need to have that conversation with your six-year-old, which, by the way, you don't. This is uncomfortable to even talk about, but what, a six-year-old masturbating? What are you, what? Um... So nobody needs to have this conversation with a six-year-old, but if you're a parent and for some reason you think you need to have this conversation with a kid, what parent would say, oh, yeah, I I want you, this stranger in the class, you have it with him, not me. So so the parents didn't know the video was going to be shown. They're speaking out against it. That's great. Um, And they need to go... they need to go beyond speaking out against. They need to to, to demand that people are fired over this. I mean, everybody at the school who was involved in showing this video knew that it was going to be shown. All of them need to be gone, fired. At a minimum. But at the same time, these parents also knew, presumably, that their kids, they at least knew that their kids were in sex ed. They knew that that was happening. So you knew that your six-year-old was going to be in a sex ed class. That should be, you don't need, you shouldn't even need to know what kind of material is being taught. You should already be stepping in and saying, "Uh uh-uh, no, not appropriate. This is not what I need you talking to my six-year-old about. Teach him how to spell, teach him how to read. That's what we're paying you people for. I don't need you talking about sex. That's not a conversation you need to have. By the way, I think I think now is also a good time to uh, remind everyone that um, sex abuse is an epidemic in the school system. Sex abuse is 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 at a crisis level in the school system and has been for years. Nobody cares. I mean, I've been talking about this fact for years and nobody cares. I've written about it. There is a full on sex abuse epidemic in the school system right now. I mean thousands of of teachers abusing students. Millions of kids have been abused. Not an exaggeration. Nobody cares. Maybe now they'll start caring. I don't know. But there's a there's a connection here. Maybe you could see it. Why do you think so many of these people that run that are in these schools whether it's private or public, why are they so interested in talking to kids about sex at such a young age and so graphically? A lot of these people are predators. Their predations, may, they, they maybe have not been arrested for it yet. Some of them maybe have been. Then they get moved around. But most of them have not been, but they're predators. We see, you know, every other week we see another story about, a, you know, some, some grown woman in a school system having sex with a 12-year-old boy. Well, these are the same people doing the sex ed classes. Maybe we can start connecting these dots here. It's amazing to me. An epidemic of of sex abuse. It documented epidemic. Which which is. Just so you know. The the sexual abuse epidemic in the school system. Is way worse. Than the epidemic ever was. in In the Catholic church. And it was bad in the Catholic church. And I've talked about that too. Many times. I have no problem talking about that. And calling that out. But. Um, the, the epidemic in the school system dwarfs the, the problem in the church. And you've got a lot of parents who aren't even Catholic, don't send their kids to Catholic to a Catholic school or, uh, or to a church. They're never around priests at all. And they've been way more concerned about the sex abuse epidemic in the church than they are about the sex abuse epidemic in the schools where they send their kids Why is that? Well, it's just cowardice. You know, it's the same reason why parents allow these sex ed classes to happen in the first place, and then complain after the fact when some of the some of the material is a little more graphic than they expected. Oh, I knew you're going to talk graphically to my kid about sex. I just didn't know it'd be that graphic. They're cowards. They don't want to rock the boat, and also they uh, they don't want to make lifestyle changes themselves. You know, they don't have to make any changes themselves. It's it's much easier to worry about the problems that are far off, not affecting you. Don't require any changes on your part. Well, anyone in the audience pretending they didn't know that there's a sex abuse epidemic in the school. uh, Now you don't have that excuse anymore because it exists. It's happening. You can look it up. And it continues to happen because nobody does anything about it or cares. Um, Okay, let's go number two. Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving was uh, playing at Boston on Sunday and got pelted by a water bottle by a fan. I don't, I don't really know what led up to this or, or why it happened. Uh, I, well, I, from what I heard, he was stomping on the Celtics logo or something like that. I don't, I don't know if he did it in that game or before. Doesn't matter. Uh, a fan threw a water bottle at him, which obviously is, is totally inappropriate and wrong and stupid. Um, but the kind of thing that happens at, at the sporting events especially when alcohol is involved. After the game, Kyrie Irving was, was uh, asked about this incident during the press conference, and he, of course, connected it to racism. Let's listen. Obviously, there's been a lot of
1: conversation about fan interaction with players, and then there's an instance tonight. I'm just wondering what you think can be done to prevent these interactions from happening in the future. It's unfortunate you know, that sports has come to a lot of this uh, know kind of crossroads where you see in a lot of old ways come up it's been part of like it's been part of that it's been that way in history and in terms of entertainment performers and sports for a long period of time and just underlying racism and just treating people like they're in a human zoo you know throwing stuff at people saying things you know there's a certain point where it just gets to be too much
0: underlying racism uh Kyrie Irving I don't know what his contract is but we can assume it's tens of millions of dollars, if not more. So he's paid tens of millions of dollars to play a game. And these fans pay hundreds of dollars to attend. I mean, NBA tickets are not expensive, or, or rather, not cheap, are very expensive. Um, and uh, even more expensive when you, think that, when you consider the fact that, I mean, you shouldn't be spending any money at all on NBA tickets. Considering the NBA, you know, hates you. Um, and has such disdain for the United States and its citizens and uh, and most of its fans, but still, the tickets are are not cheap. So these fans are paying a lot of money to come watch him play, and they, and they spend a lot of money on merchandise and jerseys and everything else. Um, and that's why they're there, and that's why he's so rich. And yet he connects this to racism, underlying racism. Uh, it's a it's a human zoo. They're just. <laughs> These people are just there so I can entertain them. Well, yes, Kyrie, why else would they be there? What do you think they're there just for moral support? They are there to be entertained. It's an, it, That's what you do. That's your line of work. It's entertainment. It, people are watching me right now. Not as many, pe- as many people as, as watch, watch you, but people are watching me right now. I don't know what their reasons are. But they are watching me. I can't be offended by that. What are you doing watching this? What am I, a zoo animal here to entertain you? What is this, a circus? Turn this off. I just want to scream to nobody like I used to do in my car. Those were the days. That's what it should be. Um, Yeah, this is the line of work you've chosen. And you get paid handsomely for it. And uh, almost everyone in the country, including all those supposedly racist fans, they would kill to do what you do for a living. If there's any, you know, uh, any negative emotions mixed up in that, maybe it's like envy. They're, they're, They're jealous that they can't get paid millions of dollars to play a game. I wish I could get paid millions of dollars to play a game. It's a line of work that anyone would love to do. You get to do it, which is great. Um, it's not a charity case. So I mean, you, you're one of the best athletes in the world. That's how you get the job. You've worked hard. Fantastic. All that is good. But that's the point. You you work your whole life to get to this point. You achieve it. Fantastic. Laudable. And then you get mad at people and accuse them of racism. Because they come to a uh, watch and it's a, it's a rowdy, you know, as you say, zoo environment. This is not a defense of fans throwing, you know, fans throwing stuff, getting into fist fights and stuff like that. That's stupid and trashy and dumb. And uh, any, any, any negative label you want to put on it, it's just not It's not racist. I mean, if people were racist, considering the, the NBA is obviously predominantly black, um, I would think if someone was really racist, like a white guy hated black people, Really racist, probably wouldn't be an NBA fan, and he probably wouldn't be spending hundreds of dollars to go sit at a stadium and watch these people who he hates and are paying millions of dollars more than he is play basketball. But obviously, everyone has to be a victim these days, and uh, just because you're famous and wealthy and powerful, because power comes with wealth, uh, that doesn't mean that you're gonna you're gonna forfeit your victim status. Of course. Did you know a baby's heartbeat uh, begins at just three weeks? At five weeks, you can hear it on an ultrasound. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to move his or her hands. I'm telling you this because when a mother who is considering abortion is introduced to her child via ultrasound, when she hears the heartbeat for the first time, she's twice as likely to choose life. And that's how Preborn rescued 200 babies every day. They provide mothers with free ultrasounds so that they can meet the life that is growing inside them. Preborn needs our help. To save these precious souls, for just 28 bucks, you can sponsor an ultrasound and save a life. And if you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures that, uh, of the lives that you help save. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes towards saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Walsh. That's preborn.com slash Walsh. All right, let's go here to number three. Matthew McConaughey is uh, maybe running for governor of Texas, and he was... Interviewed on a podcast recently, um, covered some some ground. I I watched I watched like a two minute segment of it just to see if he got to the point where he explained why anyone should actually vote for him for governor of Texas. I mean, what I know he has experience pretending to be people which come to think of it is relevant experience in politics. But what kind of real leadership experience does he have? What what, um, you know, what are his qualifications? He doesn't really, at least in the clip that I watch, doesn't he doesn't really explain that. But they do talk about masking. And this is, keep in mind, this is a guy who was recently pictured um, all by himself out in the wilderness, like literally out in the middle of the woods with a mask on, presumably after being vaccinated. And so not surprisingly, he's a big advocate of masking. And uh, here's what he had to say about that. We've got to make some sacrifices for larger rewards tomorrow. I think the best example uh, for my money it, this last year is the damn dispute over the the mass that got that got politicized. Right. I'm like, going, oh, come on, man! Ain't, you're not, I'm not believing you're really scared of this little cotton thing. <laughs> Right, right. I'm, and and I'm, I feel that takes away your identity right, and your right, freedom. Right, this is right, a short-term right. inconvenience yeah, for long-term yeah. freedom. Right, right. Come on now. <laughs> right, right. There's no data that says it's not a good thing. No data that says it's harmful. Yeah. Let's all take one for the team here. And we like to say we want to take one for the team. We like to say, oh, the value of human life is the epitome that we all... No, it's not. Yeah. We won't admit it. He's adopted the uh, Joe Biden method of argumentation. Come on, man. Come on. Just I'm not gonna explain why I'm right. Come on. Come on already. Wear the mask. Come on. Really compelling stuff. Very, very convincing. Not really, though. Uh, Yeah, as always, he doesn't actually explain why you should wear a mask even now after being vaccinated while out in the middle of the woods. I mean, why wear the mask? It's not enough to say, no, no, it's not. It's not. Well, why not wear it? I can tell you why not wear it. But that's actually, it's not on me to explain. The burden of proof is not on me. If you think people should wear masks even after being vaccinated, even outside in the woods, burden of proof is on you. You're the one proposing this radical shift in human behavior. Explain why. And saying, come on, just do it. That's not an explanation. That's, that's not good enough. That's not good enough for me no matter what you're telling me to do. I don't care what it is. I don't care how burdensome it is or how or, or not. If you told me to wear a blue shirt tomorrow, I wear blue shirts all the time. No big deal wearing a blue shirt. But I'm still going to say, well, why should I wear a blue shirt? Y- you need to be, and if your only answer is, hey, you know, just do it. It's not a big deal. Well, no, I'm not going to do it tell me why I should and then if you go on to ex- to, to claim that it's it, it's it will make me safer and all of this now I'm really going to need an explanation but Matthew McConaughey no surprise doesn't provide one um I, I just love how these pro these uh, masking cultists they try to flip it around and he's doing the same thing here I hear from masking cultists all the time where they pretend that if you don't wear the mask then you're the one who's scared. What are you so scared of a mask for? No, I'm not scared of a mask. You, I'm not scared. No, you don't understand. The reason I don't wear the mask now and have never really worn it is because I'm not scared. You're the scared one. Wearing a mask is when you're afraid of something. In fact, that's that's almost always the reason why someone wears a mask. It's about, it's about fear or caution or whatever on your end. No, not wearing the mask is about not being afraid. And so those of us who don't wear the mask, our message has been not, you should be afraid of this mask. It's been, you don't need to be afraid. Go, Go live your life like you did before. Don't be afraid to breathe fresh air. Don't be afraid to be in the same vicinity as another human being. Nothing to be afraid of. Now, you can argue against that and you could try to explain why, in fact, you should be afraid of the air and you should be afraid of other people. Go ahead and explain it. And I'm going to need some evidence and proof and and data. It's not enough to simply say, oh, the data, the data says, show me the data. I'm going to need to actually see it. But that is your argument. You are arguing for fear. I am arguing against fear. That's the way this, this breaks down. Speaking of not providing reasons to wear masks, also transportation secretary Pete Buttigieg, um, who also we, we've we've never actually been given an explanation as to why he is the the, the secretary of, of uh, transportation, but he is, and um, he was asked about this also. This was uh, on, on Sunday about why masking is still required on public transportation, and he didn't have much of a reason either. But the reason that he gave as far as it goes, was pretty instructive. So let's listen to that. It's Memorial Day weekend. 37 million Americans are expected to travel this weekend. Masks are still required on airplanes and public transportation, despite new CDC guidance that vaccinated individuals are safe and do not need to wear masks indoors or outdoors. The Biden administration says you will always follow the science. What science is there that says that a a fully vaccinated person needs to wear a mask
3: on on a plane or a train or a bus? So uh, the public health guidance is a little bit different for uh, situations like uh, planes and trains. Part of it has to do with the unique conditions of the physical space. Part of it has to do with the conditions of it being a workplace and uh, folks who really don't have a choice uh, about being there the way it is in some other cases. Uh, Of course, uh, these rules and regulations uh, and and these bodies of guidance always evolve with the science. But the bottom line is uh, we have a set of rules in place to keep people safe, and I really hope that travelers will respect flight attendants, bus operators, workers, anybody who is simply doing their job to keep people safe. You Think about what uh, people who work in travel and transportation, think about what they've been through over the course of the last year with their jobs in doubt and with a lot of challenges on the job. And with a record number, at least in recent uh, months, traveling this weekend, let's do it in a way we can be proud of and show respect for all of those workers who are getting us to where we need to be.
0: Let's do it in a way we can be proud of. I, I agree. So, so yeah, that's that's why I'm not wearing the mask. Um, but he doesn't give a reason. He's he's invited to give a reason. Well, why should? And this this, this again is a question. This is about specifically people who've been vaccinated. Um, and the question is, why should they wear a mask? And he doesn't. He he vaguely says eh, it's about keeping people safe. Okay, well, how does that, are, are the vaccines not safe? Are you saying the vaccine is not enough? Is that what you're saying? Are, are you saying the vaccine is not enough, that it's insufficient? That the vaccine in and of itself is not protective? Is that what you're saying? Because if that's what you're saying, then please say it. But that's not, they'll they'll say, that's not what they're saying. The vaccine is safe. Okay, then why do we need a mask? No data, no, no nothing not not offering any evidence but then he gets in, the, the main thing that he's that he's proposing is that we should respect it's about respect it's not really about safety it's about respecting people. We should think about what transportation workers have been through <laughs> we've I'm not sure why they've been through any more than anyone else has been through but um and this idea that it's well it's their workspace yeah but that's anytime you go into a store. Anywhere you go, if it's not outside, and even then sometimes it is, but but most of the places you go, when you're going about your, your your daily life, those are workspaces also. But you don't have to wear a mask at a lot of those places. You do have to wear it on a plane. Why is that? It's about respect. No, not good enough. No, I'm not going to wear a mask just out of respect. I don't really understand the connection between the mask and respect, but even if I did, that's not enough of a reason. You're asking me to do something, to wear something on my face. Do it out of respect is not good enough. But that's all they have. All right, let's go now to reading the YouTube comments. This is from Jay Moran says, I canceled Netflix, Disney, and no longer watch the NFL. I stopped buying Coke products, I refuse to fly Delta, I'm entering the school board race, starting going to church again. I pay attention to my food and non-food labels where I don't buy Chinese products when I don't have to. I don't know about anybody else, but I've certainly made a conscious effort to change a lot of comfortable daily habits. Um, well, I think you certainly are in the minority, but you should be applauded for that. Um, Tony Russo says, I must admit, I taught in a public school system for over 35 years and my wife taught in public school for 30 years. If we had children now, they would not go to a public school. It's our opinion that anyone who loves their children should find an alternate educational option other than the public school system. I hear this a lot for actually from people who've who have worked in public school system or currently do saying they don't they wouldn't send their kids or they don't. And that's always that that always tells you something. It's like going to a restaurant where you find out that nobody who works there eats there. Um, that that should give you pause because these are the people who've seen, but they've seen the kitchen, okay? They've seen behind the scenes. And if they don't like it, then uh, that should give you pause. But, but also, let, let's remember that um, it's not as simple as not sending your kid to public school. The school that we just talked about, the Dalton School in New York City, where they were showing this graphic video about masturbation to six-year-olds, that's a private school that parents spend a lot of money to send their kids to. So this is a problem that goes way beyond the public school system. Um, inaccessible Cardinal says, I guarantee there are no deaf people on that Zoom call. Still, they have some homeboy practicing his signing. Yeah, I thought the same thing. We played on, uh, on Friday. It was a Zoom call with a bunch of uh, teachers in, in Oregon. And one of them was talking about how if you're not anti-racist, then you should be fired and you're not welcome and all that. She was the one who identified as we and us. Anyway, I thought the same thing on that Zoom call. There's like there's 10 people or something and there's someone on Zoom call signing, doing a sign language interpretation. Now, there, there may have been a deaf person on the Zoom call, and that would explain why the, the, the uh, sign language interpreter was there. But I did think the same thing of how much do you want to bet there's nobody on that call who actually is deaf? And they have the sign language interpreter there anyway, as one big giant virtue signal. Uh, War Fan says, I saw A Quiet Place Part 2 Thursday night. Didn't wear a mask at all, unlike most people there, but wanted to know what you thought of it. I thought it was one of the rare times a sequel was better than the first one. Um, yeah, I did. We, we went and saw A Quiet Place 2 on uh, Friday night. My wife and I, we had a, a date night. And uh, first of all, it was great. Um, I think it was the first time since all this started when, when we've had just a normal night out, we went and this, is, I know it's not like this everywhere in the country, but this is how it is now in uh, in Nashville. We went downtown, we got something to eat and it was packed downtown, no masks, uh, no, no capacity limits. Everything was open. Everything was maskless. And uh, it was, it just felt normal for the first time. This is the first night that it felt normal. And then we went to, um, to the movie. And even though it said on the tickets when we bought them ahead of time that you need to wear a mask, there was nobody wearing a mask in the theater. Uh, it was, it was great. Uh, So that part was wonderful to feel, to have that normalcy back. It shouldn't have taken this long at all. Uh, we never should have given up our normalcy to the extent that we did, but to have it back now is nice anyway. As far as the movie, here's what I'll say about quiet place too. Um, and you know that I hate most things, but uh, but so so this is this is maybe quite a statement. I thought it was good, and I thought it was one of the best. It was certainly the best horror sequel of all time, and I would say is one of the best sequels ever made, which probably says more about the the general quality of sequels than it does about Quiet Place Two. Um, if there were a lot of really great sequels out there, then this might not make it its way into the uh, top ten. But but it does. I thought it was I thought it was good. My my one knock on it, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but um, it's it's. It's not really a complete movie. It's more like part one of part three. Because you know they're making a third one. And so this is like the first half of the final chapter. And so it doesn't have much of a, of a, uh, of a satisfying conclusion. But I thought it was, it was effective. And it's hard to do that with, with horror movies especially. I think that's why horror sequels are usually pretty bad. It's that once, especially a movie like Quiet Place, but really any horror movie, um, the fear comes from the unknown. And whoever the, whatever the villain or the monster is, you haven't seen them much. And so there's that surprise element. And that's where a lot of the fear and the suspense and the tension comes from. But when you get to the second movie, you already know you've seen the monster a lot. You know about it. And so how do you keep that tension and that suspense up? And they find a way to do it in the movie that I thought was really effective. Finally, Ryan says, hey, Matt, I went to a quiet place, too, with a group of about 30. None of us wore masks at any point, and the staff never said anything. You went to the movie with 30 people? Are you saying there were 30 in the theater or you went with 30 people to a movie? Why would you? What? Why? It's a movie. You could, I, I've been to movies by myself. You could easily sit a movie by yourself. You don't even need anyone there with you because you're, you're not supposed to be talking is the point. Do you know how much I would hate you if I was, if, if you went to the theater where my wife and I were, we're sitting down for a, a nice quiet movie Literally a quiet movie, and then we see a thirty a, a group of thirty people come in together. That should be illegal. I'm glad there were no masks, but um, there there do need to be size restrictions, not COVID related, on groups of people attending movies. And I think no, you don't need really the, the limit should be two. I don't. You really don't need anybody with you at the movie, but if you want to bring one person on a date, that's fine. If I'm running the theater, you're not allowed. So 30 people roll up, I'm going to say, okay, two of you are allowed to come in. You pick your two, draw straws, I don't care. You're not all coming in. That should be the rule. But I'm glad you liked the movie. All right, now let's talk about X chair. You know, I've been telling you about X chair for a while now. And part of that, the reason is that if you, if, you, if you sit a lot, like I do throughout the day, I probably do too much sitting. I think all of us sit more than we should. You can really tell the difference between a good chair and a bad chair. If you spend all day sitting in a, in a poorly constructed chair, you're going to pay for it after the fact. And that's why you need X chair. X chair has... As you uh, covered for your office chair needs, the secret is not only their patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers great lumbar support to your lower back, but also thanks to their new XHMT technology, you can get heat and massage therapy while you're sitting at your desk. You can get it all in one package. Instead of your old uncomfortable office chair, throw that out in the, in the trash where it belongs. And now you can look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. The XHMT delivers heat and massage technology right to your core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. All the perks that make working from home or the office a joy, if not a joy, at least tolerable. Let's set the bar a little bit lower. X-Chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchairwalsh.com now. That's the letter X, chairwalsh.com. Or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as 30 bucks a month. Go to xchairwalsh.com now and use code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel Bladecasters. Again, that's xchairwalsh.com. And today, like every other day, is also a perfect day to pre-order The Authoritarian Moment, Ben Shapiro's newest book that he wrote in order to help you shut down the authoritarian weirdos who are attempting to control everything we do, including the way we think and breathe. And the way that our children think and breathe, as we've discussed in it, he gives some background on how we got to this place and um, and how we can you know, go where we could go from here and how we can get out of this uh, out of this situation. So if you want to preserve your individual rights and protect the ones you love from mob rule, then you've got to order the authoritarian Mo- moment available now at Amazon, Barnes and Noble or any other major bookseller. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. For our Daily Cancellation today, we take into consideration a recent viral video from a woman who insists that, although she's morbidly obese, you must still find her physically attractive. You're not entitled to your own opinions or preferences. You must fall madly in love with her. This is not a suggestion, but rather a requirement, as she clearly explains. Listen.
2: Hey, bestie. (laughs) You're wrong. I think it's time for another adult pre-k lesson. What do you think? All right, turn your listening ears on you catch a bubble in your mouth. <gasps> Good job. Okay, here's the thing. Having a preference is something like, I'm looking for a partner who likes kayaking, or wakes up early in the morning, or loves pizza. <laughs> But when your preferences exclude an entire group of marginalized people, that's problematic. Okay, that's not nice. That's not a preference. If you lump all fat people in one group together as though they are not very different individuals, that's fatphobic. Just like lumping all black people in one group and saying, I don't like black people is racist. And lumping all disabled people in one group and saying, I don't think people in wheelchairs are hot is ableist. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: No, I don't. Okay so, well, okay, so you are allowed to prefer a partner who likes kayaking, which thankfully I think lets us off the hook because something tells me she's not exactly an avid kayaker. But those loopholes aside, it seems that our friend here has stumbled on a rather unique pickup line. Part of me wishes that I had thought of this when I was single, like, ma'am, you are morally obligated to find me attractive. Now come and date me at once, lest you be guilty of problematic and exclusionary behavior. But something tells me I would have uh, uh, struck out as badly with that line as I'm sure she does. The only difference is that I would have been arrested for harassment and stalking on top of it. Now, uh, a few points to make here. First of all, this woman, and my 12 seconds of research tells me that her name is Lexi. Has uh, And the research was just looking at the bottom of the, of the video there where it says her name. Has a, she, has a, she has a problem that goes beyond her weight. If Lexi finds that most people don't want to be around her, it probably is because of her god-awful personality. I, for one, would rather take a bath in battery acid than be stuck in a room with her for any length of time. And that's got nothing to do with her appearance. It has everything to do with her demeanor, her attitude, tone of voice, and just way of being. This is something that that anyone who struggles to find a partner should take into consideration. Before wondering whether you're being discriminated against based on your physical features, please reflect on the possibility that you might be a nagging, miserable shrew. Now, it can be hard even for the most attractive person to find or at least maintain relationships if they have a repulsive personality. But if you're not a top-notch physical specimen, and most of us aren't, and you also have the character and general disposition of the Wicked Witch of the West, then you, you really have put yourself in a hole with only yourself to blame for it. Second point, she says that you aren't allowed to exclude entire groups of people ...from your sexual preference. But that, of course, is exactly what a sexual preference is. That's what any kind of preference is, actually. Preferences exclude by definition. All preferences do. Any preference is exclusionary and discriminatory. That's the whole point. You're preferring one thing over another. Or one person over another. As for sexual preference specifically... ...gay men exclude her because she's a woman. Is she going to berate them for that? Well, she might, I guess. As we've seen... For years, the left insisted that sexuality is innate and immutable. It can't be changed, and it's not the result of choice. But more recently, they have decided that their own arguments no longer hold. Your sexuality can become problematic if it excludes so-called marginalized groups. A gay man who isn't attracted to a woman who identifies as a man is now a transphobe. A straight man who isn't attracted to a man who identifies as a woman is also a transphobe. Anybody who isn't attracted to an obese person is fatphobic. Anyone who isn't attracted to shrill, hectoring, condescending scolds like Lexi is whatever kind of phobic that applies to. Your sexuality is not your own business. It is not a private matter anymore, as the left had previously insisted. They will decide who you should be attracted to. And quite often, coincidentally enough, the person putting themselves in the position to make this choice for you will decide that you should be attracted to them personally. Funny how that works. You know, it's like, well, I, I've run the numbers and I've done the calculations, and it turns out that in order to not be a bigot, you're supposed to be turned on by, uh, what does it say here? Oh, me. Sorry, I don't make the rules. Well, I guess I do, actually. Third point, briefly, referring back to the first. Um, this seems to be something that a lot of people do, even if they aren't on the left. When people have trouble forming and maintaining relationships, both sexual and platonic, they develop a victim complex deciding that the problem in their personal romantic lives is that everyone else is being mean to them. And this only exacerbates the problem because nobody wants to be around someone with a victim complex. Even people with victim complexes don't want to be around other people with victim complexes. In fact, people with victim complexes especially don't want to be around other people with victim complexes because then it becomes a zero-sum game, a sort of victimhood competition. The self-determined victim becomes all the more isolated as a result, and their victim mentality only hardens and spreads and metastasizes over time. So if you're looking around and finding that most people don't want to be around you, don't find you appealing or attractive on any level, you could start pointing fingers and making demands, or you can begin the difficult work of changing yourself. And this process should be one that includes both the exterior and the interior, both physical and spiritual. Although this is hard and painful and it requires the kind of honest self-assessment that most people don't have the wherewithal to conduct, the good thing is that you actually have control over yourself. Yourself is a thing you can change by the grace of God. You can't really force anyone else to change. All you can do is scream at them as they back ever farther away until you're all alone yelling into the void. It's up to you which strategy you choose. We know which one Lexi has chosen, and for that reason today, she is, of course, canceled. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. Are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including the Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, the Andrew Claven Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. A popular children's cartoon teams up with a drag queen, a first grade teacher instructs six-year-olds to pleasure themselves, and an Australian journalist exposes Dr. Fauci's involvement with the origins of the pandemic. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.